Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of The Articulate Fly. On this episode, I'm joined by Phil Montano, the founder of Artisan Angler and the creator of great angling accessories like the Fly Trap. Phil shares his fly fishing journey, his career as a wrestler, and the genesis of his company. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. But before we get to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. If you like the podcast, please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. It really helps us out. And as we continue to create and distribute more diverse content, you may want to consider downloading our iOS or Android app. We organize our content by category so you can go straight to the content that interests you the most. The apps are free and the links are in the show notes. Alternatively, just search the Articulate Fly where you get your mobile apps. Now, on to the interview. Well, Phil, welcome to the Articulate Fly. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. I think I literally had a tickler to interview you from the 2019 IFTD show in Denver. Really? Well, sorry we missed out on that. <laughs> yeah, it's just, well, COVID happened, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> COVID happened to a lot of people. Yeah, because I, I can't remember if I ran into you the last time I was at the fly fishing show, uh, the consumer show, the Fremsky show in Denver, but I definitely remember uh, meeting you at IFTD the last time they had it. And, you know, one of the traditions we have on the Articulate Fly Phil is we always like to ask our guests to share their earliest fishing memory. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, my dad was a big fisherman. And uh, so the Montana boys were always learning from, from pops. And, uh, he taught us how to spin fish pretty much, uh, you know, right out, right out of the gate. <laughs> I'd say, uh, he took us to the Arkansas river, uh, along between Canyon city and, uh, I'd say Buena Vista. So that whole stretch of Arkansas was his favorite place to go, and and he would take us camping and fishing there, and and that to me is is basically where I honed my skills and and grew up loving the outdoors and and fishing. Yeah, very neat. When did you come to the dark side of fly fishing? Oh boy, that was that was about twelve, thirteen years ago. Um, I had. <laughs> you know, growing up a spin fisherman, um, my dad would always just have the funniest jokes about fly fishermen, and uh, so we didn't really think much of it. And uh, you know, my dad, us and a spin rod, it was a sure thing. Like we could catch fish no matter what. Skunk did not, you know, wasn't in our vocabulary. Um, my dad was was just a phenomenal angler. But um, my brother, Matt, my uh, second youngest brother, Matt, got into fly fishing with his buddy, Dan, and um, they did it for years, many, many years before I got into it. And he uh, he sucked me over to the dark side and and it's been great. But, you know, it's always a hard transition going from a sure thing, you know, a sure catch to, okay, over and basically, you know, not catch fish for a while until I figure this out. Yeah, it's funny you say that because when I switched over, 
I was really kind of scared to go back to a spin fishing rod because I was afraid it was going to mess up my fly casting. Oh, yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. I was like, I was like, you know, got the wrist out of it. I don't want to get the wrist back in it. And I was like, gosh, if I pick up a spinning rod, I'm going to start snapping that wrist again. <laughs> well, it's like riding a bike, you know, uh, it, it's, it's such a fun sport, but you know, uh, they're just, they're just worlds apart. Uh, I, such respect and, uh, love for both of them. Um, I just, I haven't spin fished in, in quite some time. Um, you know, every time we're on a lake somewhere, I'll pull it out, but you know, nothing, nothing hardcore, just got to get it wet and that's about it. Yeah. And, and so on your fly fishing journey, you know, who are some of the folks that mentored you and what did they teach you? Well, you know, um, I kind of got into it. I started getting into it on my own, like researching, you know, gear and, uh, where I could learn how to cast and things like that. And so I took a casting class. I bought some, you know, um, inexpensive gear. And then I started hitting up my brother, Matt and his buddy, Dan, and, uh, they, they taught me pretty much everything, um, all the basics. And man, you know, <laughs> one of the most frustrating things, my brother, my brother's a yeller. Like he, he yells at you if you're not doing something right. So for about the first two years straight, all he did was yell at me <laughs> what I was doing wrong. But, uh, oh yeah, he's, he's been invaluable with, with, me um, learning. Yeah. That's funny. He either should be a high school football coach or should maybe, uh, be a guy down in the keys and yell at people. Right. <laughs> he would have been a pretty good coach. Uh, yeah, he's, but you know, he, he means well, you just have to kind of let it roll off of you. Um, and you know, and, and forget the fact that he's your younger brother. <laughs> so that was, that was a challenge. Yeah, there you go. And so, um, you know, as you kind of got deeper into the fly fishing world, did the, did your favorite places to fish in Colorado kind of change for you a little bit? Well, um, yes, they did. Uh, you know, the Arkansas has a lot of brown, aggressive brown, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not stopped being my favorite place. Like, um, I, I still love going back. Um, there's just, you know, it just opens up so many more doors with fly fishing for me, and uh, I fish all over Colorado, some of my favorite places, you know, like I said, are, are um, the Arkansas. There's so many parts of the Arkansas that stretch through Colorado. And uh, I love 11 Mile Canyon, you know, the Dream Stream. There's just so many, so many great places. I don't honestly can't say that I have a favorite. <laughs> it's that tough. Yeah, I mean, you're cer certainly lucky where you are. I mean, you've got a lot of water and a lot of different water. Yes. And, and the scenery is just, for me, it's, 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 it's the whole package, right? I don't want to go to just some destination to catch fish. I want the entire experience. And, uh, Colorado is for, for the all around experience. Yeah. It's interesting too, Phil, cause I can remember coming to Denver on business in the mid nineties. And the one thing that always struck me uh, was how you could really tell how much people that lived in Denver loved living in Colorado. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think if it's in your blood, you're never going to leave. Uh, you know, the, the winters seem to be getting longer as I get older, but you know, that's my home. I was born and raised and I just, I couldn't live anywhere else. You know, 300 days of sunshine a year is, is unbeatable. That's a whole lot more fishing time than <laughs> in some places. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, shifting gears just a little bit, I know that uh, kind of your day job, you, you know, you have a design company and I was kind of curious, you know, when did you become interested in art and design? Well, um, growing up, we, we've been, you know, into creative outlets for, you know, forever. And, uh, it was just, it was just part of us. My mom was an artist. She was a poet. My dad was a mechanic. So he was very resourceful and created things and made things work. And, uh, I think that combination just, you know, from our early, earliest days, uh, got me interested in being creative in one way or another <clears throat> and throughout school uh, you know art class was always one of our favorites for all of my brothers and I um, we excelled in art and um, you know a few of us do it to this day and, and have been lucky enough to make a living out of it very neat and who are some I guess kind of two questions I mean you know there's I'd be really interested to hear about some of the people that mentored you on your art journey, but also kind of some of the, the artists that have influenced your work. Yeah. So, you know, all of my teachers growing up, I mean, they were my biggest mentors and, and, uh, influencers. Like they, they just, you know, they had a passion and, and I could see it. I could feel it. And, and most of the kids that stuck with it, um, still really cherish those relationships we, we developed with some of our teachers. You know, I had a teacher in high school who really uh, helped me explore and pick a path actually with uh, my art skills. And his name was Phil Law. He was just, you know, all around phenomenal person and, uh, you know, gave it his all to, to his students. And you know, I, I think, I really have a lot of, you know, of thanks that needs to go to, to Phil Law. So, yeah, you know, he's just one, but there's so many in college. Uh, you know, there was Martin Lindelstead and uh, Rory Bonnet and Mike Luttrell. Uh, there was just, you know, the, these instructors were just phenomenal, you know, and they, they, uh, they didn't skip beat and knew what you were good at and, and helped you um, hone your skills. And it was, it was a great experience. Yeah, really neat. And how about artists that influenced you stylistically? Oh, my goodness. You know, uh, my style has changed so much. But back in the day when, when I was kind of worshiping artists and designers, he's, uh, let me think here. David Carson was a great graphic designer. Um, you know, Alphonse Mucha was into Art Deco. I loved his style. Like, um, man, <laughs> Matisse. There's just so many that that influenced me in different ways. That uh, I don't know that it really affects my work or um, me 
in my work to date, but it, it certainly motivated me and excited me and, um, you know, made me want to, to, uh, do much, much more. Yeah. Very neat. And you just mentioned earlier that your style evolved. How has it evolved kind of over your, you know, kind of as an artist in high school and now into a designer? Well, it's definitely more refined, you know, um, it, it takes, it takes quite a while to go from, you know, uh, doing hand done work. Like when I was in college in the late eighties, everything done, was done by hand. So you had to work in the dark room, you had to manually expose photography and, uh, you had to do line work with rapidograph pens and cut amber lift and ruby lift to make masks and things like that. And the craziest part is all of that now is obsolete. So I think transitioning from going, doing everything by hand to all digital and relearning everything on the computer was quite the transition for me. So, and that even changes your style of design because, uh, it, it's, it's just so much cleaner, so much more refined and precise. Um, but it, it, it took years to, to basically reinvent the wheel. Yeah. It's funny you say that cause you talk to like, you know, younger people and that are using like Photoshop or something like that. And they don't even know that dodge and burn was actually a thing you did in the dark room. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> They're like, why do you call it that? I was like, well, cause it was actually a thing, right? <laughs> yeah. It was, it's, it's still a great thing. I, I still, I still use that tool every single day. Yeah. It's funny. And you know, it's interesting. Um, as I was doing research uh, for our interview, you know, you've had an opportunity to really work with some great brands. You want to kind of let our listeners know some of the folks you've been able to work with over your design career. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, um, I started off designing t-shirts commercially and, um, believe it or not, Bole sunglasses became a t-shirt account for our company. And the one, one of the marketing directors, uh, was like, we need to, we need to pull this guy away from here and, and, uh, (laughs) <laughs> hire him. So I actually went directly to work uh, with Bole sunglasses, Bole eyewear um, in the, the late 80s, early 90s and was with Bole for seven years, I believe it was, art director. So that was quite quite the takeoff. You know, I went to an advertising agency after that and worked on, you know, all the Coors brands, uh, Coke, Cybex Fitness Equipment, Denver Art Museum. I mean, you name it, there's there's been quite a bit, quite a bit of pretty um, awesome companies. Yeah, that's really neat. Is, can you remember, I guess, maybe does one particular engagement uh, kind of stand out in your mind or project? Oh, yeah, a couple, a couple actually do. Uh, one of the things I'm most proud of is actually um, – I designed the very first plastic beer bottle for Coors when uh, the brands were trying to transition into staying in a bottle, but um, being sold in stadiums. 
you know, beaches, things like that. They wanted a, a glass option and, and plastic bottles started becoming a trend. And so we competed against several agencies around the country and they chose my, my bottle design for the very first rendition of their plastic beer bottle. So that was pretty exciting. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think um, another one was working on Colorado Academy school, uh, redesigning their mascot and all their marketing materials. It was just, it was a fantastic experience. And, you know, my work will be, will be on campus for years to come, hopefully. Yeah, really neat. And, you know, I know it's, um, I know it can be kind of draining to be kind of uh, creative on demand. You know, how do you recharge your creative batteries? Well, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting. My wife, my wife often brings up, I don't know how she says, I don't know how you can design every day and come up with something different and new. And, um, I honestly don't know why that is either. That's, I guess that's why some of us designer are designers and others are photographers and, you know, engineers, like your mind just works like a machine with, <laughs> with what you're passionate about, I guess. But the way I recharge is I, I step away from my computer. I've got to get away from it and get outside and, and go fishing, you know, or go mountain biking, and enjoy Colorado in one way or another. Um, but really it's just, it's, really escaping completely from thinking about projects and creativity. And then you come back, you're super, you know, refreshed and excited to uh, get back into it. Yeah. Very neat. Yeah. I always find that like when I'm like at the gym or fishing or doing something, I get great ideas. So I try to do a little bit more of that than I probably think I should. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, so you know, other, another interesting fact that uh, folks may not know about it is the rumor is you were a pretty good wrestler back in the day. Um, you want to tell folks a little bit about your wrestling career? Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> I thought for sure Steve Maldonado might have uh, been the one to, to tell you that tidbit. No, it was LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn. Get on LinkedIn. Uh, well, yeah, I, I wrestled for like seven years in my childhood years and summer winter it was a it was a, a big deal for me it was life changing and and really I think molded me um but yeah I oh <laughs> uh, this is funny going blast from the past here um I loved it I loved the sport you know when I was in middle school I weighed 65 pounds and I was standing in the lunch line and the principal and the vice principal came up to me and said, have you ever considered uh, wrestling? And I was like, I didn't even know what it was. And because I was so small, they were actually trying to find a 65 pounder for the wrestling. <laughs> so that's how it all started was in uh, seventh grade. And uh, from there, I just got real passionate about it. And I, and I did it every year, you know, into my freshman year of college for some winter. It was an ongoing thing. I ended up becoming uh, an undefeated state high school wrestling champion at 105. 
and I was ninth in the nation in freestyle wrestling. Um, and I believe 98 pounds the summer before that. And I made the college team as a freshman, uh, only weighing 117 pounds. But, you know, this was a defining moment for me, believe it or not. I had the choice of, you know, taking athletic scholarships or art scholarships. And I really knew that my path was art. But, you know, I had to listen to my family and, and coaches and uh, friends. And, and, you know, I listened to a lot of people. Just the debate of whether I should go to art school or whether I should go take this four-year full-ride scholarship to Western State. And after pondering it for a good long time, I decided to take the full ride. And I was there for about four months uh, training and going to school and made the team as a freshman and decided that I was done. <laughs> and I walked away from it uh, completely. And I came to Denver, started our school, and have had a great 32-year career from that one choice. And it was it was, really was my defining moment. But it was difficult walking away from the sport, and I and I hadn't wrestled since. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. I think you, you know you and I were talking before we started recording, and you know back in the day, I had a, one of my really good friends in high school. You know, got his letter freshman year in high school because he was the, probably the only kid in the school that could wrestle at ninety eight pounds. <laughs> So, so I, yeah, I, they're hard to come by. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, guys. and, uh, my oldest son was super skinny like that. And, uh, I tried to get him the, they've bumped the classes up now. So the lightest class, at least here in my part of the world is 105 and, uh, he wouldn't have any part of it, but, uh, so it goes. <laughs> right. I, I had two boys also and yeah, neither one of them were like interested in sports. Not at all. Yeah. Both creative, both, both very, you know, uh, good at creating and um you know sculpting and and drawing and painting and like everything they they, they definitely took on the art role but nothing to do with sports at all <laughs> yeah it's it's interesting and you know and shifting gears a little bit back to fly fishing you know like i said i, I think i met you in denver uh, either at the IFTD show or maybe at one of the consumer shows. And at that time, uh, you had just brought the fly trap, uh, to market. And I was really kind of curious, you know, where the idea for the product came from and what kind of maybe fishing problems you were trying to solve with it. Sure. Um, well, you know, there was a myriad of, of frustrations with learning, uh, how to fly fish and learning how to get organized and, uh, it was a constant battle for me and I, and it's a constant battle for, for everyone. And, you know, I, I'm in Wyoming fishing the plat with my brother and I'm just like, there has got to be a better way to do this. Like, this is, this is so frustrating, like so unorganized. And, you know, I can't, I can't be efficient when I have to get into my bag every time I need one fly or to even ditch a fly or a rig that's not working out, you know, a busted head, um, or a, a, a broken hook, uh, just, there was no place to put these things. And 
I had to shuffle in and out of my bag every single time. That was my first big, um, I guess you could say, um, epiphany of trying to change things. And so the fly trap really just first evolved as a, a, a piece of rubber and a paraco- piece of paracord to just simply put flies on that didn't work. And, um, I toyed around with names, even one of the, I was going to consider calling it the ditch it, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just to put all your junk on because you still have to put them somewhere. And just that one step alone could save a ton of time. And, um, uh, one thing led to another, I made a few of them. I gave them to my cousin and my brother and some friends and said, use this today on the river and this is how you use it. And let me know if anything falls off here when you, uh, when you're done at the end of the day. And that's really how the fly trap evolved. But, um, you know, it was a good experience. It worked out for them and they're like, yeah, you could probably sell this to make it marketable. Uh, that's truly where it all started. So, you know, you go from the Platte River. How long did it take you from the kind of uh, friends and family prototypes to bring it to market? Oh, geez. You know, we made them by hand for a first couple of years. And, you know, I was limited to what I could actually get that was already made or shaped or um, formed without having to pay for tooling and things like that. So we made a lot of them by hand. I mean, we're talking thousands by hand. And they... You know, they worked. They were the, the greatest quality, but they got the job done. And um, so I'd say probably two, two and a half years. And then I was like, okay, this is, this is working out. People are liking this. Um, we need to, you know, look into manufacturing. And um, I need to get a little more serious about the design and make them more efficient and better quality. And so... By year three, four, five, the, the product has really advanced and evolved. Yeah, and so you know, just to kind of for folks that aren't familiar, you know, with uh, with the product, you want to kind of and we'll talk about the XLT Pro in a second, but just kind of talk to people about what that kind of initial uh, fly trap that you brought to market, kind of what it looked like and what it did. Sure. Um, yeah. So um, you know, it was I got all these parts, pieces, and parts that I could assemble. And, you know, made it basically a, a minimalist approach to holding, you know, flies and tools at first. And then it became, in, uh, uh, it evolved into holding flies, tools, and tippets. So uh, it started out as just holding flies, evolved into being able to hold really just everything in, in, with a minimalist approach. And I think things are still going that way. You know, people are tired of carrying around a lot of stuff, They're tired of having a lot of stuff dangling. And um, a lot of people are even tired of carrying packs. So this this really helps all of that. Yeah, it's interesting because I think I've, I, well, I know I've got one of the early generation ones. And I mean, the way I have it is I sort of have a, a love-hate relationship with my sling pack. <laughs> and um, and I generally don't like to have uh, things on my chest because inevitably my fly line gets caught in it. And uh, so I actually have mine on the back of my sling on a gear keeper. And uh, I have a Monomaster 
uh, on the tool part. And then I have all my tippet and then I have my flies and I can just kind of reach back behind me on my hip and pull it forward and get what I need and then just put it back. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people do that. I, I've got, I've gotten uh, accustomed to having mine in the front. Um, you know, but I, I tell you, that's the beauty of this thing is it's so versatile. You can put it anywhere. You can put it on backpack straps, swing packs, hip packs, waist packs, chest packs, you know, and, um, and it, it, you could even put it on a, on a lanyard if, if you choose to, but, um, it's, it's just that versatile and that's, that's what we, you know, we like to stress is, is the versatility and, and what it actually does. Is, it's pretty amazing if you give, give it a chance. Yeah. And I got to, you know, reconnect with you at the fly fishing show in Denver, I don't know, probably four or six weeks ago. And, you know, found out that the fly trap had now evolved into the XLT pro model. And you want to let folks kind of know kind of the improvements and the refinements. Cause I mean, I could tell right away, um, you know, when I, when I saw it, that, uh, you'd made some significant upgrades. Yeah. You know, we, we finally got to a point where we could invest some money back into the company and, uh, make some drastic changes. Um, you know, mostly, uh, durability changes. Um, I had a hook on there before that, uh, the plastic was, you know, it, it, people were still struggling with getting the head, the hook head off and on to interchange the cylinders. Um, you know, I had to take a lot of things into consideration, even though I really liked the initial design, it was a struggle for some people to use. And I needed to simplify that first and foremost. Um, so I ran a 400 pound test utility cord from top to bottom that now goes through the entire core of the fly trap and connects to two, um, no fail carabiners. So these don't have these little metal things that fail and your carabiner ends up being, you know, worthless. Uh, these, these are no fail carabiners and, uh, the, the silicone cylinder hasn't changed. It's still, um, there's secrets to it that make it work, uh, exceptionally well, uh, when holding a hook and, uh, I can't reveal those secrets, but <laughs> that has not changed. And so it's, it's super durable. It's way more flexible than it was and virtually indestructible. Still holds flies, dozens of flies, um, several tools, tippet or an extra cylinder or even our new cylinder, which is a six rig cylinder. And so it's, it's evolved into even a more versatile tool. Yeah, and I think it's really neat, too, because the new cylinder, you know, uh, I think your brother showed me in Denver, you can actually, like, hook two fly rigs to it and just wrap the tippet around it, and you're, like, ready to go. Yeah, so it's got six grooves in it, and you can uh, put uh, double fly dropper rigs that you pre-tie before you get to the river. You know, if you know what's hatching at a certain time, you know what works really well on a river, at a certain time of day or whatnot, what you've had great luck with, um, with certain uh, combinations, hopper droppers, things like that. If you know what, you know, works, you can pre-tie that stuff in front of your television and uh, have it ready to roll on the river and save yourself, you know, so much rigging time on the water. And, uh, yeah, you can slip that right on your XLT Pro Series and, and, you know, now you have an arsenal of flies 
and pre-tied rigs and you're, you know, you're not digging in your bag for hours. Yeah. And the great thing too, is you can buy multiple, uh, sleeves and you can set it up for different fishing situations and you're even more prepared. right? Yes, absolutely. I have a little trick that, um, that I do, you know, there's always a pocket in, in the front of your waders and, uh, that pocket, it, it's annoying if you, if you have a lot of bulk in there, but how I eliminate the bulk is I actually have a, uh, waterproof, um, small laptop bag that I put probably 20 cylinders full of flies, everything from, you know, organized with streamers and worms and dry and, you know, midges and, uh, larva, just everything. It's, it's all, they're all in there in the pack, nice and flat, not bulky at all. Um, and I just pull it out, pull whatever out and interchange and I'm ready to go for another hour or two. Yeah, that's really cool. And, you know, not surprisingly, Phil, the industry noticed and you guys have won some awards. You want to let folks know about those? Yeah. So in, in 2020, we uh, we were noticed at the IFTD and in Denver and the uh, Outdoor Canada magazine, one of the editors was roaming writers, was roaming the, uh, the show and came up and just started asking questions and uh, I didn't really know what it was all about, but you know, I thought he was just another buyer and he then later came the next day and said, um, I'm going to submit your product for our gear guide and um, you know, we'll, we'll let you know if you, if you won. <laughs> and I'm like, sweet. So I'd say six months later uh, I get a, an email saying that we won best organizer in the gear guide uh, in 2020 for Outdoor Canada magazine, which is super, super exciting and a very big deal in my opinion. Um, you know, we worked, we worked hard, you know, evolving and, and improving the products to make them, you know, just indestructible and, and um, you know, a way for everybody to, to experience fishing without the frustration. Yeah. And it's a huge deal too. Cause I think, you know, people don't really understand, you know, how hard it is for a, a small manufacturer to get a product and get scale and get out into the market. Yeah. It's super, super hard. I mean, you know, we all have these dreams of, man, somebody should invent this or somebody should invent that. And somebody should do this and somebody should do that. Well, I had all an arsenal of, of experience that helped me get there. Um, you know, from my design days and my marketing and advertising days, um, I used all that to my advantage to to help me with the product design and some of the engineering and 3D design um, and getting other people involved in in the process was was vital too. I you know I certainly couldn't have done this all on my own. But my, uh, you know, my factories helped out a lot involving things and, um, you know, refining the tooling and things like that. But it's, 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 it's a big, it's a, it's a big process and people don't really, people underestimate it. And, 
you know, they kind of, it's thought that this is a great idea and, and, you know, somebody should invent this. <laughs> but if, if every one of those people kind of realized what, what it took to get something just to, to be on a shelf, um, it's, it's quite a bit. So we're pretty proud of where we've come and, or how far we've come and where we are now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's something, you know, to your point to go from idea to side hustle to kind of a real thing, you know, um, and the whole time you've got another job. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Um, but it's great because, you know, they're all my passions and, and, uh, I, I love designing and, uh, it's, there's never a dull moment, uh, whether I'm at my computer or on the river and trying to figure out my next big thing. Um, but you know, our whole MO for artists and anglers has been, um, helping you rig up faster and making your, your time on the water more efficient. Um, you know, the money you spend on your tools, uh, it, it's fly fishing is so expensive and, and I didn't want tools that were, were so expensive. And I wanted tools that everybody could use from beginners to experts. And, uh, you know, I, I think we're, we're evolving into, into so much more than, than just the fly trap. So we're, we're on our way to, um, having, you know, a well-rounded line of products that, that really help you on the water and eliminate some of that frustration with rigging and organization. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of that, you know, again, when I saw you in Denver, you've got a new product called Magnafly. Um, and I thought it was a really interesting, you know, we've all seen like flip down, you know, magnifiers and all that sort of stuff. But this was a really interesting kind of evolution on that idea. And I was really kind of curious about, you know, you know, how you came up with the idea and kind of what the what problem you were trying to solve for folks. Yeah. So, you know, all of my ideas come from my own need <laughs> and then I branch out and ask, you know, my fellow anglers, uh, you know, Hey, would you use this thing? And people I could trust before I got anything to market. Um, and, um, I would give them my reasoning and, you know, that's how I would start the process of developing a product. And the magnify came about because I was just so frustrated with, um, the flip down um, bifocals and not so much frustrated because they didn't work. They worked pretty well. I just wanted something that was more streamlined. I wanted something that didn't make me look like I was, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, blind as a bat yeah. basically. <laughs> and, you know, wearing, bifocals isn't the most attractive thing on your hat. Um, and a lot of people don't want to have that stigma, right? So I wanted something more sleek, more, um, you know, more appealing to the younger guys that, that can't, that won't admit they can't see very well. Um, but a little more inconspicuous basically with what it was. And I had, uh, I love the idea of magnifier, um, and started messing around with clips and size of lenses and strength of lenses and magnets. And how can I make this 
you know, one little thing useful anywhere. So it, it evolved uh, rather quickly. And we made it so that you can clip it on your hat, on your chest pack, on your waiter straps, you know, on backpack uh, straps, you know, really anywhere um, that is, you know, good for your own vision and your own eye strength. Yeah, very neat. And I mean, it's it's a really, really neat product. And um, I haven't uh, had the chance to get out as much as I want to, but I'm one of those people who wholeheartedly admit that I need a little bit of help tying on the small stuff. And, um, you know, the great thing is I've lost several pairs of clicks on the river by like taking my pack off and I'm looking forward to giving it a try on the river. Yeah, it's, it's super versatile. I think you're going to like it. Um, you know, some people have to get used to using a magnifier because they're strong, right? Magnifiers are super strong and you got to find just that right location, whether it's like I said, on your hat or your, your straps or your waders, um, you know, find that perfect location where it works for you and, uh, you know, give it a little bit of time. It's, you, know, it, you have to get used to a magnifier. It's certainly not like prescription glasses that, you know, it's an instantaneous thing. Um, it takes a little getting used to. And, but once you do, it's like muscle memory and it's, it's fantastic. I use mine on my hat and, you know, much like the fly trap. I don't know what I did before I had it, you know, and, um, you know, I hated everything before I know that. And now I just, I, I can't imagine doing anything without my magnify or my fly trap. Uh, they're just so handy and useful and, um, time efficient, you know, it also has, it also has two magnets on it that, um, hold your on deck flies which, um, you know, once you figure out what, what's hitting, you lose one, you just reach right up and pull it off of your, your magnet, your on-deck fly, and, and your rigging. So another convenient little add-on. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned that you're in the process at Artisan Angler of kind of building out an entire array of, of tools. Uh, do you have any projects that you're working on you want to share with our listeners? Yes. And no, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> no, I, I do have, you know, there's some people that just won't, they, they won't, um, they can't wrap their head around the fly trap for one reason or another. And, um, I get that. So, um, I've got to appeal to some of those guys too and figure out how to make a product that's super effective. That's better than what's out there on the market in one category um, and, you know, just go after, you know, what I think is using my materials and um, our design expertise and develop my next product will be um, right in line with everything else I do, but, um, you know, hopefully better in, in several ways than what's out there. And last longer, you know, I have, it's, it's just so disheartening to, for people to have products out there that, um, you know, they just fail over time and, um, you know, there's no guarantee, but with our products, uh, a lot of people don't realize this, but they're guaranteed for the life of the product. 
if something fails on it, manufacture defects, um, we'll replace it. No question. Yeah, very neat. And you want to let folks know, you know, uh, kind of where you are on the kind of the retail front. And then I also know you're, you're online as well. Yeah. So, um, we're actually all over the U S so I would recommend, uh, checking with your local fly shop first. Um, I support local shops. I mean, they help me get where I am and there's, there's a lot of love there and respect. So certainly shop local call your fly shop and say, Hey, do you carry the artist angler stuff, the fly trap or magnify? Um, we are in several countries, believe it or not, and, uh, doing pretty well, uh, in Canada. So, um, as far as specific shops, I don't have any other than, you know, they're, they're just scattered all over. I'm distributed by hairline govan and, uh, I have a link tree which will take you to all the places you can buy right there from a link. And that's uh, linktr.ee forward slash artisan angler. And that one link will take you to my Amazon pages. And all of my stuff ships free, I believe, one day with Amazon Prime. So... That's pretty awesome deal for, you know, wanting something that maybe your, your local shop doesn't have. Um, it's unfortunate that I'm not in every single shop. <laughs> It'll happen. <laughs> and, and it, it could happen, right? But it, it's, it's one of those frustrating things. It's like, you know, how do you get people to see your, you know, your, the passion for your product the way you do, right? And if they can only see the, the uh, anglers that just flood me with, um, you know, testimonial after testimonial and guides that just love it and say it's their most used tool that they have other than their fly rod, <laughs> that's pretty, pretty awesome deal. And um, people swear by it once they get used to it. Um, you, you have to evolve. You know, and, and, and I get it. Some of these, some of these shops, they, they don't want to evolve with their products and I get it, you know, it's not for everybody. So got to keep trying and get to those people that are willing to, to make big changes. Yeah, there you go. And I'll drop that link tree link in the show notes. And, you know, I, I know you're on social, you want to kind of let folks know, you know, website address and where to follow you on Facebook and Instagram and all that kind of good stuff. Sure. Uh, my Instagram is at flytrap flyholder. Uh, that will eventually uh, change to uh, artisan angler. And on Facebook, I am flytrap pro series. Um, my new website is going to be artisan angler llc.com, uh, which is coming soon. Probably within a week or two, that site will be done. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty easy to find on social media and all of my t- contact information is, is out there. So, um, if you currently have any product, uh, that you have questions on or need, uh, to upgrade or interchange cylinders, things like that, hit me up and I'd be, uh, happy to answer any of your questions. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'll drop all that stuff in the show notes. Excellent. Thank you. You bet. And listen, Phil, I really appreciate you spending some time with me and I'm looking forward to seeing you again in a few weeks in Salt Lake City. Me too. I owe you a beer too. And uh, let's, let's hang out and have some fun. And I, I want to thank you too for uh, supporting small business and supporting little guys like me and, and, and helping us uh, take an extra step uh, towards, uh, you know, helping everybody have a better time fishing. Yeah. <laughs> Fly fishing. Absolutely. It's absolutely my pleasure. And it's been a re- I really enjoyed our conversation this evening. Have a good one, Phil. You too. Thanks a lot. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. Again, if you like the podcast, please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. Tight lines, everybody.